everybody this morning. We got a little bit to go through, and uh, Romans chapter number one, and uh, we're we're going to look at one verse today again, and that is verse number five, and and, and again we just kind of taking our time getting started, and uh, there's a reason for that, and again this is foundational information. It's information that you and I need to understand and to know. But it's also information that has lately been popped up and being used in a uh, in very controversial manner. Uh, and it's nothing new. We have to remember that uh, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. So when you think about some of this and you think about some of the new positions and everything that are popping up, there's nothing new. It, there, the cycle has been there. It's there. It's, there, it's just being repeated in our lifetime. And uh, so as we look at this verse, we'll look at some things, and then we'll you know, hopefully give you enough ammo to put in the gun that you're able to, to um, deal with, um, with folks if they come up. You know, the amazing thing is, is you got Romans... Um, look at, uh, oh, I just had it in my head. That's a bad place for it to be. It's gone now is right. So, um, let me look here just for a second. And then we will, oh, it wasn't second, so maybe it's in the first. You know how you think about a piece of a verse and then that piece just kind of drifts away? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us that we live in the flesh, but we don't war after the flesh. It's a passage in Corinthians. But when you think about things that kind of just keep coming around, uh, Romans 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the, res- to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. And we talked last time that that issue of the resurrection of the dead, that's the key component. He bring- Paul brings up the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is the physical, genealogical, biological, whatever you need theological to say, descendant of David, King David. Okay, they do run the DNA test. It's going to lead right back through, not Joseph, but Mary. And it's going to read, read back right back through that seed of the woman, the promise in Genesis 3 and so forth, where that seed of the woman is there. And then... He, but the component about being the descendant of David is the issue of resurrection. When, when the Lord talks to Abraham in Genesis 12, actually he has talked too, but in Genesis 12, that issue of resurrection is being introduced and is underlying. Then when he talks to David, and, and he's confirming the Davidic covenants to David in, in the book of Psalms, several places, there's an issue of resurrection because your seed's going to sit on the throne. Okay? So there's an issue of resurrection that's there. So because of that issue of the resurrection of the dead, and that's going to be a central part of our message, Paul's message, Paul's ministry, Paul's gospel, 
He starts there. And again, our faith starts at that empty tomb. That's where it starts. Then he says, verse 5, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. Now, what happens here is people begin to use verse number 5, and then the, the mention of David in verse 2 and 3, I'm sorry, in verse 3 there, and they begin to say that, see, Paul is just carrying on where Peter left off. And actually, they say Peter failed. He was so concentrated on going to the Jews that he missed going to all the nations. And what they begin to do is, and, and by the way, this is great in the Acts 28 community. That's, they pull this stuff out left and right. They'll say that there's two bodies of Christ. There's two sendings of Paul. They begin to multiply stuff out. And when you think about it and you listen to them, actually it's kind of logical, makes sense. Problem is, is when you come to Scripture, it doesn't match. And our, our litmus test is Scripture, not what we think. Okay? So when he says here, in, and we're going to look here at verse number 5, Again, and, and by the way, this is the church at large that says this. This is just not pockets of people. You get in, you begin to talk to the denominational brethren, they're going to say the same thing. You talk to the charismatic folks, they say the same thing. So you just have to understand for you and I how to, how to have some being persuaded in your own mind, but then be able to come over and to talk to others who, who bring this stuff up, you know, and if you talk to people who, I'll be honest with you, if you're on Facebook, you run into this garbage all the time. I would encourage you to not be there on Facebook. Literally, I, there was a time when I was invited and joined tons of groups, not by me, but by people, you're joined now, and joining you, and adding you, and putting you in. And I used to look at stuff and Linda would go, you know, you've been on that computer a long time. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, Rick, you've been on it for three hours. And I'm like, no, I haven't. Sure enough, I was working on hour four by the time the argument got done. She won, by the way, okay? But see, the thing is, is it, it begins to consume your time. Then it begins to put into your mind things that are not scriptural. They're scriptural, but they're not dispensational. Let me say it that way. So you have to real quickly kind of, I'll be honest with you, go cut the grass. <laughs> go for a walk. Do something different. And, and I understand we're on social media and everything, but just unjoin. Because you don't, Paul says a little leaven does what? Leavens the whole lump. It messes up because it begins to cause you to think about things and doubt what you already know to be true. Verse 5 is one of those verses. They, they, there's great misunderstanding here about what Paul is saying in verse 5 because there's a great misunderstanding about, what, about people understanding Israel's program. Now, look at verse 5 carefully. And again, I want to look at the verse with you and, and, and just kind of put some things on the, on the board for you just so you can see and understand what's going on here because of what people say. By whom? Okay, well, who would that be? Well, it would be the risen Lord Jesus Christ. 
by whom we have received grace and apostleship. Come over to Galatians chapter 1. We've talked about this now. We're just going to remind you of a few things and, uh, and, and, and let you see some things here. Galatians chapter 1, he says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship. Look at Galatians 1 verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ, if you drop down there to verse um, 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. We received grace. Okay, this is, the, this is the information, this is the message, the ministry, the gospel that Paul received. What is it concerning? Verse 16, to reveal his son, where? In me. See, the goal here was to reveal his son first in the apostle Paul, and then 1 Timothy 1 there says... Um, 1 Timothy 1, verse 16, Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. 1 Timothy 1, 16. So the issue there is it shows he revealed by whom we've received grace and apostle. Grace. We got the message. That's a, you have to pay attention to the content, the context, I should say. You know, He'll talk about the faith, one faith. Well, what faith is that? See, because we all have faith, but what's the one faith? See, he's talking about the Word of God. See, why? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So it's a specific. Here in Galatians 1, he goes, Guys, I received this information directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't get it from Peter. I didn't get it from Barnabas. I didn't get it from Joe, Joe Come Lately. I didn't get it from any of those guys. I got it from the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You're in Galatians 2, or Galatians 1. Look at Galatians 2. When he talks in verse 9, when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived, notice, the grace that was given unto me. You see that, the grace? He's not talking about God being gracious to him. He's talking about he received the message and the ministry that's going to pertain to the dispensing of God's grace to mankind now. So when you come back to Romans 1, on your way, stop in chapter 11, he says, by whom we have received grace and apostleship. Romans chapter 11, verse 13 Paul says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. Who is he? He's the apostle. Okay? By the way, talking about social media, I saw a thing on Facebook by a friend of mine, and I kind of scratched my head now about them being my friend, but they said, made the comment that in Romans 9, 10, and 11, there is no doctrine in there to the church, the body of Christ. And I went, Huh? And the problem is, is later on down in the little five pages of, gar of verbiage, 
that they misunderstand what grafting in and graft the grafting in stuff here is. Common mistake by people. They make it something that it isn't. Okay? And when we get into chapter 11, we'll spend time talking about it. By the way, if you deal with plants or, or, uh, landscape, or horticulture or any of that, you understand what it is to graft something. That's what he's doing. By the way, who's he talking to in verse 11? I'm sorry, verse 13. For I speak to you, Israel. To who? He's talking to you. See that? And he talks to you all the way through the rest of that chapter, basically. So the grafting in has to do with us being made a part of the fat of the olive tree. And the fatness of the olive tree. What's the olive tree in Israel's history? It's their access point to God. It's the tree that demonstrates their access point to God. What was their access point to God? Think about Abraham. Was by what? Faith. What did he promise to Abraham? Eternal life. So you see, we're grafted into the blessing part. The fatness, the benefits. You ever been around an olive tree and it's bloomed and the fruit's there? Yeah, it's very interesting. Messy, too, you know. <laughs> but see, the, see, see how simple that was? But, man, everybody gets that stuff all twisted up and rabbi, 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 rabbi. And all you got to do is just read. Make it say, let it say what it says. First of all, he's talking to Gentiles. He's talking about blessings. Anyway, smoke on that for a while. Go back there to, come over to 1 Corinthians 15. Sorry, chew on that for a while. I should have said. I figured somebody would. I'll get an email. Don't worry. I have my cr critics out there. They're like, hey, smoking. He's promoting smoking. Well, if you want to smell like you go to hell, go right ahead. <laughs> like you've been to hell, go right ahead. It's okay. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse, 20, uh, verse 10. Again, by whom we have received grace and apostleship. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Again, Paul says, come back there to chapter 1 of Romans now. He says, hey guys, you know who gave me my ministry, my message, my gospel? Was the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's going to be different in contrast to the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, wouldn't it? He's very distinctive, makes that distinction clear. But now, watch the rest of the verse. For, why did he, why did we receive, why did I receive, Paul's saying, grace and apostleship? For, obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. For, the reason. Why did he receive it? For the obedience of what? Faith among all the nations out there. So, by the way, you got chapter 1, run to chapter 16, the end of the, end of the book, 1626. Because it's interesting, he begins the book, he ends the book the same way he begins the book, 1626. But now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandments of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of 
faith. Isn't that interesting? Paul says, my whole ministry message, everything I'm going to be doing and have been doing, because he's writing Romans a little late in, the, in, his, in his Acts ministry, is for the what? For the obedience of faith among all the nations for his name's sake. But what happens? Do you see that all nations? That's the part that everybody picks up on. Because what did the Lord Jesus Christ say after his resurrection to Peter and the little flock? Go to who? All the nations. Go to all, go to all the world and teach them, baptizing them and all this stuff. So Paul, by the way, Paul is, an, is, is, is the international Apostle. I heard Alex Kurz say that one time. I wrote it down. It was, it's literally written down. He's the international apostle. Where's he going? All the nations. He's literally the apostle to everyone. So he's international, not just down into one group. That's a big contrast to Peter and the twelve. So what what the church out there at large says is see. When Paul says that he's going to all the nations, he's reaching over and picking up on what the Lord, after resurrection, says in the so-called Great Commission. And you have to say it that way because that phrase, that title, Great Commission, is never found in Scripture. It's found in the books of, of preachers. And then they break it up and they say, see, look at what he's doing. He's going, he's picking up where Peter failed. Because Peter was a failure. Don't you know? He denied the Lord. And, and I'm sitting there going, how can you call Peter a failure when Acts 6 says he's a man full of the Holy Ghost? He's been, run, he's been working since Acts 2 with a man full of the Holy Spirit, and he's a failure? So the Godhead caused him to be a failure. No. You know, that's just not believing the verses. Now, notice something. We're going to do this on the board, I hope. What happened to all my chalk? <laughs> there it is. Okay, we have Calvary, right? He, the ascension, he comes back. Acts chapter number 1, he spends 40 days with them, doesn't he? Talking to them about things pertaining to the kingdom then he's taken out right then they work for one year in the acts one to eight period you with me in that time uh by the way that's luke 13 he where he extends their he dungs around the tree one more year give it one more year and so forth the lord does that then in acts 9 what do we have? The dog shows up. Things go to the dog, dispensation of grace, Paul, right? Come on, let's go. It's only Sunday morning, all right? Come on, all right, thank you. The next thing on the timeline is the 70th week. We call that the trib, right? What's after the trib? The millennial kingdom, thousand years. What's after that? Eternity. Right? 
this is Acts 1, 3, Luke 13. Obviously, this is Paul, right? Romans to Philemon. This will be Hebrews through Revelation, right? Pretty simple. Come back to Matthew 10. What happens is, is they say, see, Paul says and uses some terminology about all the nations, and that's literally a reach back up into what is the so-called Great Commission. And because of that term, they ignore Scripture, they ignore what the passages say, and they grab the four components that they say make up the so-called Great Commission. That is Matthew 4, I'm sorry, Matthew 28, Mark, come on folks, you know them, Luke 16, uh, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. You guys with me? Now we're going to look at each one of these real quickly here and then spend some time in 28 to show you how you debunk this mess. Because it's, this stuff gets prevalent even in some of our circles. Because guys read a book, Great New Light, they read a Charles Welch book or an E.W.M. Bulliger book, and the lights go on and the lights actually literally go out because they quit thinking about Scripture. And, and by the way, there's others as well. When you think about, when you hear someone say the, so, the Great Commission, Run a timeout. Say, timeout. Have you ever read Matthew 10? Wednesday night, we're, in, we're studying Matthew. We're not in 10 yet. <laughs> we're, we're moving along a little quicker than Romans, but we're not doing that. Because when you, read, when you come to talking about when Christ commissions the 12, Matthew 10 covers the whole of it. So go, you're in Matthew 10, right? And literally, these four components are appendixes. They're appendages to the Matthew 10 information that says what the little flock is going to be doing these things at these times after the resurrection. Okay? How do you know that? Well, Matthew 10 helps immensely with that. And again, they're reaching in and they're pulling all of this off of Paul talking about going to all the nations now. Matthew 10, 1. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebus, uh, Thaddeus, okay? Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve, Jesus sent forth and what? Isn't that interesting? Commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and enter into the city of the Samaritans, enter you not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, Thy kingdom of... The kingdom of heaven is at hand. First of all, who are they not going to talk to? The Gentiles. 
Who are they going to talk to? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do you know why they have to talk to the lost sheep of the house of Israel first? Because that was the Abrahamic covenant and the promise. You see, if you understand a little bit about Israel's covenants, this stuff isn't a problem. The problem is, is the guys spewing this and the people who you talk that spew this stuff, they don't understand the basic information pertaining to Israel's program. Okay? Verse... Eight, what are they going to do? They're going to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give, provide neither gold nor silver nor, purse, nor, nor brass in your purse, nor scrip for your journeys, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet stays, for the workman is worthy of his meat. What's going to happen when they go out there? All their stuff's going to be provided for them. Now we're back into the so-called Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where you don't worry about the physical things. You're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things will be taken care of. So when they rolled into town, what was supposed to happen? The believing remnant, the believers, were going to take care of them. Pretty good. By the way, will any of that work today? doesn't work in this dispensation. Verse 11, and whatsoever city or town ye shall enter in, inquire who, who in it is interesting, worthy. <laughs> and there abide till ye go in. Worthy, a believer, someone who's going to hear what they're saying about the kingdom is at hand. Un get it, boom, come on in, sit, we got a nice supper spread. Okay? Verse 16, behold, I send you forth as sheep. In the midst of wolves, be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men. It's interesting, he says, I'm going to send you forth. In the midst of a den of wolves, you're going to be the sheep. Israel, wolves, apostate Israel. You're the sheep, the believers. The sheep hear my voice, they know me, the shepherd says. These guys, the wolves don't. They've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my namesake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. Folks, what, what, what happens after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? in the early Acts period, to that believing remnant. Are they persecuted a little bit? Just a little bit. Yes, they are. Peter's thrown in jail over and over and over again. So when you start reading here in verse 17, 18, 19, 20, For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Where are we at? We're in Acts 2. We're in the Acts period. See how the commission started way over here in the beginning, and now it's talking about the Acts period? It's covering the whole of it. Verse 22, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but ye, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. What's that a reference to? Tribulation time, isn't it? You see, the commission starts... I, it started way back here. It's going to go, it's hitting here, it's hitting here. It skips here because that's the secret. It's 
I find this very intriguing. I find it very fascinating. Because watch verse 23. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another city, into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be what? There's the second coming. And when he comes, what does he establish? That millennial kingdom, the, the thousand years, the kingdom is established. The disciple is not above his master, verse 24, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the servant that he be as his master. And you keep reading down there, verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body. Where? You see, we're talking about some judgment, aren't we? Don't worry about the dude. You better worry about the man, the son of man. <laughs> so we're moved down. Now, that's the commission of the 12. It starts back here, and it's to run all the way out to here. Okay? You see that? I hope you see that. Now, come over to... Well, actually, if you keep reading that, par that, that passage there in Matthew 10, verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I, I'm losing numbers. <laughs> okay. Then he says there in verse 34, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man at variance against his father and, his and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against mother-in-law and a man's foe shall be thy of his own house. It just, the Lord didn't come in peace, folks. He came to do what? To divide up that nation, the believing remnant and the apostates. Put that middle. That's what he's talking about. We're going to set it not. We're going to, my sheep know my voice. They belong to me. They've come into the sheepfold through the porter. They've done it right. The, the publicans and the, the sinners have justified God being baptized of John, Luke says. But the, public, but the Pharisees and the lawyers, they forsook the counsel of God, rejected all that. He's dividing up that nation. Here it is. Here's apostate Israel. Religious leaders, traditions of your fathers. And here's the believing remnant that just wants the word. And the disciples, by the way, chapter 11, verse 1, look at chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. So what did he do? Matthew 10 is the Great Commission. But we have a timeline, don't we? We've got stuff going on here in Israel's program. Don't look at this. That's us. Okay? Now, get, come, on, come on over to Matthew 28. Now, you have four supplement parts. You guys with me? You see what's happening here? Okay? You've got four supplemental appendixes. Appendix A, B, C, and D. You've got four supplemental parts that the Lord Jesus Christ gives after the resurrection. 
And this is where everybody jumps on board about Paul because it's after the resurrection that, you know what he says? Go teach all the nations. Okay? But the believe, this is what the believing remnant's going to be doing. Look at Matthew 28. I'm gonna, we're going to look at all four quickly, and then we're going to come back and spend some time in Matthew 28. Because Matthew 28's the big one. It's the big one. It's the one that every denominational out there uses. It's the one the Roman Catholic, actually John 20 is the one the Roman Catholics tap onto. It, Mark 16 is the one the charismatic groups grab. Luke 24, nobody knows what to do with that one. So they just kind of let that, hope nobody reads that one. But Matthew 28 goes to church every Sunday. Okay? Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. See? Go, man. Put the go back in the gospel. Let's go. Boom. You know? Go and do what? Teach all. What did Paul say? My apostleship is for the obedience of, of faith among all the nations. See? they got to be talking about the same thing. Come on over to Mark 16. By the way, they're not. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Just bust your bubble there for a minute. Mark 16. Mark 16, this one gets ignored as well by a, a good majority because they don't believe that the from verse 9 to the end of the passage should even be in your Bible. Uh, Schofield's got a note here in the Schofield notes that the passage from verse 9 to the end is not found in the two most ancient manuscripts, the Synatica and the Vatican, and others have it with partial omissions and variants, but it is quoted by a bunch of guys in the 2nd, 3rd century. By the way, all of that has been proven to be false. They've actually literally proven that the Sinaiticus is not an old manuscript. It's actually rather recent in the 15, 15, 1400s, 1500s. It doesn't go back old. They just think it does. Because what do they got? They got a Roman Catholic view that they got to push here. And who in the world is going to handle a snake and live? See? Who's going to drink something deadly and live? So it's got to be what? Wrong. So let's just mark it out of the book completely. Now, the charismatic groups, they grab onto it and they leave it in their Bible. Actually, they got it highlighted. <laughs> Put it up on the wall. Why? Because of what it says. Verse 15. Mark 16, 15. And he said, and again, this is at verse 14. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and unbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was what? So we're after the resurrection, aren't we? And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they, they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And on and on and on, and on you go. So what do they say? See? He says, go teach them. Go teach all the world, every creature. Same thing Paul's talking about. 
problem is, is when you study this passage out, you know what you find out? It has nothing to do with back here. It has everything to do with out over there. We'll talk about that in just a second. Luke 24. Luke 24, 44. Get my 44s out here. Luke 24, 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. The three, the three sections of the Hebrew Bible, all were talking about who? The risen Lord Jesus Christ. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. There's the 40 days event. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remissions of sins, well, watch, should, pre, should be preached among, I'm sorry, be preached in his name among all nations. And they stop. <clears throat> and they say, See, he should be preaching all the nations. And they skip over the end of that verse that says what? Beginning at where? At Jerusalem. Ooh. See, they are snakes when it comes to handling the book. They just squiggle around it. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endured with power from on high. Come on over to John 20. By the way, Luke 24 there is, a com there is a commission part in Acts 1 that is going to connect, and we'll do that here. Uh, get John 20. Actually, you know what? Just run on over to Acts 1. I'm sorry. Let's just get that out of the way. Acts 1, verse 8. Acts 1, 8 amplifies the stuff in Luke 24. Luke wrote both books. Acts 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, uh, that's your hometown, and in all Judea, that's your county, and in all Samaria, that's your state, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. You never heard them do that? It's like, huh? Every time I look at a map, if I Google Jerusalem, it shows up in the Middle East. If I Google Judah... Judea, it shows up in the Middle East. <laughs> Same with Samaria, by the way. But you see how they just twist it all up there? John 20. This one is the one that everybody just wishes would go away. But it's, and and the, actually the Roman Catholics grab it because of what it says. But it's really a wonderful thing. Uh, John 20, verse 19 to 23 here. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, so this is the evening of Resurrection Day, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them and said, Boo, <laughs> peace be unto you. Could you imagine? He just walked through the way and shows up right in the middle of them. You know he, was, you know he wanted to say boo, you know. But he says, peace be with you. The Lord has a sense of humor, folks. If he didn't, you and I wouldn't have one either. <laughs> and when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side, then were the disciples glad that when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. See, I'm going to send you to do something. And when he had said thus, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins are retained, they are retained. 
So he's gonna he gives them the whole he's, he breathes on them. They're gonna they get the Holy Spirit and then they get this ability to go and do some things. Okay. Go back to well, go back to Mark 16. So Matthew 28. This will be number one. Number two. Number three. Number four. Okay. Matthew 28 runs all the way over to what that believing remnant will be doing in the kingdom, the thousand years. Okay? Mark 16 is going to run all the way over what they're going to be doing in the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation. Luke 24 says you're going to be doing some stuff here in the Acts period. John 20, you're going to be doing some stuff here in the Acts 20 and out over there in the millennial. The issue of remitting and forgiving and so forth. Okay? Let me show you. Mark 16. <clears throat> Mark 16. By the way, John 20 also, they'll have some stuff here in the Hebrew, in the 70th week, as well as over. So these, these appendixes cover what, they answer the question, what is that believing remnant going to be doing? What are they going to be able to do? Well, look at Mark 16, quickly here. Verse 15. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be, what? Belief is the issue, folks, not baptism. Belief is the issue. Baptism is that belief, obeying the word of God, going to go do something. And these signs shall follow them that believe. So we're going to get some folks saved, get them blessed, with the, filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they're going to be able to do something. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to be able to cast out devils. They're going to be able to speak with a new tongue. The reversal of the Tower of Babel. So we're right here. See, this, these guys begin to kind of show up. Then, he's, then he says, what are they going to be able to do? They're going to be able to take up serpents. Think about that. They're laying out in the middle of the woods, running for their life from the adversary. And that old scorpion crawls up into their sleeping bag with them. Well, I've been bitten by scorpions at least six times. I know what they do when you step, when you get around them. What do they do to you? They bite you. It ain't going to hurt them. We're, see, folks, we're in the book of the Revelation here now. We started here, get them baptized, full of the Holy Ghost, going to be able to speak. We're going to be able to cast out demons. We're going to be able to, no deadly thing's going to hurt us. See, you're in the book of the Revelation. The new tongues, the serp there's Acts 2, if you will. The serpents, Revelation 6, they're going to be able to deal with them. Drink any deadly thing. Come, come over to Revelation 8. I, I know the time, but this stuff is just fascinating to me. Revelation 8, Revelation 8, verse number 10 and 11. You ought to think about this. Spend some time when these guys start yakking at, chewing on your ear about some of this stuff. I was going to say something else, but this stuff. You've got to have a little 
ammo in the back in the pack to fire back at them and knock it off. Look at Revelation 8:10. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon a third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of water. Now, the intensity of the second come of the 70th week is in the Middle East. But if you mess up a third part of the water, who are you impacting? Everybody. Okay? So the intensity of it is in the Middle East. The Lord's not going to send a star to fall on America to get even. He doesn't have to do that. Okay? That's what hell, the great white throne judgment, and the lake of fires are for. But now watch verse 11. And the name of the star is called wormwood and the third part of the waters became wormwood worm worms and many men died of the waters because they were made what they went over the guys go over there and dip their hydro flask in there and start drinking it down and about a few hours later it's poisoned and they're dead but you know what that believing remnant man can do he can go over there and dump his hydro flask in there, drink it all day long, and it never hurt him. How? Mark 16. You can drink any deadly thing. You see, they're where they belong, they're going, they're in it, and they are, they got a little protection going on. Follow that? You see, by the way, that wormwood stuff goes all the way back in Jeremiah, but it goes all the way back to Moses as they brought him across the sea, and they come up to the Mara, the bitter waters. And what did he do? He laid in that branch, the Lord Jesus Christ, typology, and what did it do to the water? Sweetened it up. When they believe and they're baptized and they get the Holy Spirit, who do they have? Well, you're in me and I'm in you, he tells them. There's the brand, and they're protected. You see that? Do a little study. Go over to Matthew 28. I want to spend the rest of the time here. These four supplementals, here's what the believing remnant is going to be doing. Here's what they're going to be able to do. And that's what's fascinating about this is because when you look at this, this stuff is back here. It's after the resurrection, and it hits their program all the way across the board. And it just ticks things off that's going to be very specific in time to what they're able to do. Matthew 28, again, the big one is Matthew 28. This is the one everybody loves because it says such wonderful, powerful things to us today, dearly beloved. Okay? Matthew 28, 18. Oh, I got to get, let me get there. 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All right, we've got to stop. Verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. Well, wait a minute. 18 came before 19. So by what right does God the Son have to say, Go teach all the nations? Well, he just says, i got all the power. But you've got to think about the power issue there. First of all, we have the power of resurrection where he just defeated the adversary, and now he has the, the authority. Matthew chapter 4, when the Lord is tempted of, of, say, of the devil, he said he, the devil takes him up there in that third one, shows him the kingdoms of the world, which, by the way, includes Israel. 
and says, I'll give you all this if you just worship me. And, if, and, and the son never objects and says, no, those are mine. They're not yours. He says, no, get behind me, Satan. You don't, you don't do that. And he, never, he doesn't do that. Here he says, after resurrection, I got the power. Come to Psalms 110. Now, what I want you to see, I'm going to tell you now in case I don't, hopefully we do this. You know, every teacher, this is the goal I want you to see. What I want you to see is that Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20, Acts 1, reach back into the prophetic program and pick things up. So these appendixes are nothing new in the text of Scripture. They're just going to be applied newly to a specific group of people now in a specific time. Psalms 110, verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Where have we read that one before? Isn't that Acts 2? Okay. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. The day shall be, uh, the peop- uh, I'm sorry, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy, what? Power. All the power is given me. We're in the day of his power here. What's he going to do? In the beauty of holiness, from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth, the Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now there's the Hebrew epistles. Remember in Hebrews, all about the order of Melchizedek and all that. So now, see, we're, we're, we're moving on. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through the kings in the day of his wrath. Wait a minute, what day, where does that happen? We're in the second coming over here, aren't we? He says, hey, I got the power to do what? To rule and to reign. I got the rod. Why? Because I've been resurrected. I'm risen. Verse 6, he shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. Boy, that psalm of David is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ being the king, the rightful ruler, the rightful judge. Hold on to psalms. Nah, let it go. Come on over to Matthew. Back to Matthew 28. You see, Matthew 28, 18 picks right up where Psalms 110 says he's going to be. He's going to the day of his power, the day of his wrath. We're out here now, aren't we? We're here, and we're here. The day of his wrath, the day of his power. Verse 19, Matthew 28, 19. Boy, for time, my goodness. Matthew 28, 19. And Jesus, uh, 19, go ye therefore... Again, therefore, why? He's in the day of his power. He's in the day, it's, it's time. He's in, he's in rule. He's the head. He's the king. Go and do what? Teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them. To observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Bunch of stuff going on there. Go, all the nations, and you're going to teach them. 
and you're going to baptize them. Now, real quickly, go you therefore and teach all nations. Notice it's plural. We are not talking about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is not included in this nations. How do you know? Numbers 23. Hold on to here. Run back to Numbers 23. Okay? Numbers 23. Numbers 23 and verse number 9. Numbers 23, 9. What you will hear people say is, is that we, the church, the body of Christ, are to go to all the nations and to teach them. Problem is, is you cannot go. If you use Matthew 28, 19, you cannot go to the nation of Israel. They are excluded if you say that. Why? Numbers 23, 9. For from the top of the rocks I see him, from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. When Balaam looks out over there at Israel, here's, this is Balaam, Balak, and Baal. He looks out over there and he says, you know what God did? God separated them from the nations. They are not numbered among the nations. They are the head, not the tail. They are the lender, not the lendee. They are the ones who are to rule and to reign, not be in subjection. Now, they are in, in the historical account, but... When God set them up, Deuteronomy 4, he says that Gentiles out there are going to look at you and say, what is it to have God as your head? Okay? So when you come back to Matthew 28, go, go ye, church the body of Christ, that's what they say. You can't go to Israel. Why? They're not numbered among the nations. They're ignored. They're excluded. Wait a minute. There's a whole group of unsaved people over there that God would have to be saved and come to the and we can't go to them. See how that doesn't jive? Think about that. Well, anyway, <laughs> baptizing them. There's a, again that Old Testament Old Testament connect. What did Paul say about baptism in 1 Corinthians one verse seventeen? For Christ sent me not to baptize. You see, baptism here is a brag for these guys. They were keeping numbers and records. I baptized 10 today. How many did you do? <laughs> I did 15. Yeah. Not as a puffing proud thing, but that's their program. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, baptism isn't a brag. I, didn't, I had to do it because it was a part of a provoking thing. Then Christ told me, stop doing it. And when you look at Acts, the Acts ministry of Paul from Acts 20, 21 on, Paul doesn't baptize another person in the record. That means he didn't do it. Up to that point he did. When the Lord told him to stop doing it, guess what he did? Ah, one more won't hurt, right, Lord? <laughs> no, he stopped doing it. But notice Matthew 28, teach them. Verse 20, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. What did the Lord command the, Matthew 28, 20. What did the Lord command them to teach? Three letters, L-A-W. Go to Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 5. You see, folks, when the Lord walked the earth, he's going to tell that believing remnant that their job is to teach the law. He's going to tell them, Matthew 5, verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, 
but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Well, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever shall do and teach them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That perfect righteousness is the issue. Ye, by the way, verse 20 is a little sarcastic because that's what the Pharisees and those guys think they have. <laughs> then he comes down and he says, hey, wouldn't it be better to go into heaven? Well, look at verse Oh, verse 29. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And he goes on down through the rest of this chapter, and he just begins to talk about, hey, cut your hand, right hand off, the next verse. Better to go in maimed than to go in whole and cast into hell. What, are they, what is he teaching them? He's teaching them the law. Actually, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he intensifies the law. You, are, are, you're still there. I'm not, but you, you are. Look back up there at verse number 28. But I say unto you, verse 27, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. There's the Ten Commandments, right? Moses. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Boy, see how the Lord just, he intensified that law. He said it's not just to do the action, now it's a thinking thing. Now it's a heart problem. So in Matthew 28, what did he tell them? You guys go down there and you teach. When you guys go out here in the millennial kingdom, you know what you're teaching these guys? The stuff I taught you to teach men, which is the messianic law. It's a hard issue. Now come back to Zechariah 8. Man, we got a time. You guys are good. I'm, I'm going to finish this. So if you need to go use the bathroom and get coffee and a donut, you can go right ahead. Zechariah chapter 8. You see, folks, he says, I told you to cut that thing off. Better to go into heaven maimed, into the kingdom maimed, than to go into hell whole. By the way, I told you to sell everything too, by the way, didn't I? Sell out for Jesus. You heard that in the, out there. I knew a gentleman one time back in the 80s. We were starting grade school of the Bible, and guess what he did? He obeyed those verses literally and sold everything. And if it hadn't been for his wife stopping him from selling the house that their mother, his, her mom had given him, he'd have sold that too. And you know what the thing was? was he didn't understand right division, but he was, he was honest with the Scriptures, and he obeyed the verses. And the question was brought to him at the time. I remembered I was a little lad made a big impression. He said, the question was, is where did that money go? Where did you take that money? And he said, well, I took it to the preacher and to the church. And, and someone told him, I said, yeah, but that verse says go give it to the poor. And he said, yeah, but the other verse said go put it at the apostles' feet. He said, so your preacher's an apostle? He goes, well, no. Light bulbs begin to kind of click, right? That man to this, I don't know if he's still alive or not, but to this day was bitter against church, period. It didn't matter. 
because of what it did to him and his family because he obeyed. And he'd go ask the preacher, what about that? And that preacher would say, well, you wasn't supposed to literally go do it, man. It was a spiritual thing. And you were to spiritually give everything, not literally physically sell. I mean, you know, and the guy goes, no, that verse. So he was honest with the verses, and the preacher was a phony, was dishonest. See? Anyway, you got, that give you time to find Zechariah 8. Zechariah 8. You see, folks, the issue of teaching is going to come up here now, and that's what we're going to spend. We're going to take the time to do it because you've got to see this, okay? Then we'll get on in verse 6 in Romans 1. Uh, Zechariah 8.20. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall, it shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities. And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in where, by the way? So we're over here. This is looking at the millennial kingdom. In Jerusalem to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all the languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. You know what? All the nations out there, when Jesus Christ tells them to go teach all the nations, it is because that God wants them educated about some things, about the kingdom. And by the way, we'll see here in a minute, the Gentiles want to be educated. They don't want to be in darkness. Come over to Isaiah chapter 2. And by the way, I'll just remind you, they go to Jerusalem. They don't come to Tempe. So Jerusalem is not your hometown or your county or your anything else. Isaiah chapter 2, watch verse 2, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall what? Flow unto it. The mountain of the Lord's house, that's the kingdom. Mountains in your scriptures, unless they're specifically described as geography, are always kingdoms. Daniel 2, 44, 45, it's the mountain and so forth, okay? And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah is rebuking the nation of Israel for not being who she's supposed to be, because look at what their ultimate goal is. Why won't nations war against war? Well, when they go up to Jerusalem, to the kingdom, and he teaches them, the, mo the, messi the, mo the messianic law, guess what they forget about doing? Fighting each other. Why? Because what is the new covenant? I'm going to give you a new heart. It's, 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 I hope this kind of blends. This isn't the United Nations. 
Because that verse sits in the United Nations. Verse 6. Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves and the children of strangers. Their land also is full of silver and gold, neither is there any of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, neither is there any end of their chariots. And he just goes on and on and on. Israel is not doing what she's supposed to be doing. Look at verse Well, I'm missing a verse. Come over to chapter 42 of Isaiah. Isaiah 42. Oh. Boy, don't you hate it when you write something down wrong? You don't, I do. Because this was a good point. Isaiah 42. Give me just a second. Isaiah 42. Was I reading in the right spot there a minute ago? Hang on a second. All right, Isaiah 42. Look over with me at verse number 6. Isaiah 42, 6. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light to who? Of the Gentiles to open the blind eye to bring out the prisoners from the prison and to set them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. That's what the teaching is designed to do. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory. Will I not give thee to another, neither my praise to grave an image? Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before thy spring forth, I tell you of them. Isn't that interesting? He, his whole goal is to come along and to bring them out of what? Darkness. The passage I'm looking for, it's in Isaiah. I thought it was there in chapter 2. He says that they have a blanket of darkness over them. They have a veil of darkness. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that he's taken us out of the power of darkness and set us into the light of his, uh, the kingdom of his dear son. Darkness in Scripture is usually spiritual. He looks over there and Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 4, and he'll say that this, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of the lost. Where would he have you sit? In darkness. Where does the Lord want you to sit? In the light. Come over to Micah. Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4. You see, folks, when he tells them to teach the nations. He's telling them, and he does it in all of them. 
He's telling them, guys, Israel, your job is to bring light to the Gentiles. Your job is to bring the Gentile nations out of the darkness. Matthew 28, you're going to do that in the millennial kingdom. What's the little flock going to be doing in the millennial kingdom? They're going to be doing Matthew 28. They're going to go out and they're going to teach the law. Well, Rick, does that mean they're going to do animal sacrifices? Actually, yes, they do. But they don't do it at the way the old covenant set it up as. They do it the way the new covenant set it up as, as we do this, because the real sacrifice is sitting down there in Jerusalem. Well, Rick, are they going to do this? I'm going to say, yeah, because what is their job to do to the Gentiles? Teach them. Bring them out of darkness and into light. Micah 4 Verse 1, but in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow unto it. They are coming to Jerusalem. They're coming to the kingdom. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the house of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us his ways and he will, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth out of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. What's going out? The law. The word. The nations want to be taught. They want to understand the kingdom. They want to understand all of the benefits of it. They want it. And Israel's job is going to be to do what? To go and do it. Not your job. Israel's job. Now, when you come back to Romans 1, when Paul says, my, my apostleship, my ministry, my message, my gospel is for the obedience of faith among all nations for his name. My job isn't this. My job is to come over here and say it to everybody equally. The, level, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, the song says. No man standeth higher than I. See, that's, so when someone comes along and says, no, Paul's, Peter failed, he was consumed with Israel and Jews, and he wouldn't go, and Paul, so God had to reach over and save Paul so that he could then move him over, and, and you just go, Pfft. you don't know what you're talking about. Stick your fingers in your ears and go, nah, 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 nah. oh, you're done talking? Okay, good. Seriously, because they don't. They're trying to make you do something that isn't you. Okay. I hope all that made some sense. Just understand, those four Gospels, those four endings, the fifth one, Acts 1, if you want, that lumps in with, with Luke 24. They, they go in places. They belong in places. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the patience of the folks, and for everything that we have in your Son. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll pick